invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Hebrews. We are winding down in our studies in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 7 and 8. We're not looking at verse 9 as is stated on your bulletin. Verses 7 and 8, Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So far, we have seen how that the writer has been addressing various relationships, various areas of responsibility that the Christian has to different ones, to strangers, to the saints. This morning, we are looking at what he has to say concerning our responsibility to our leaders. It's significant that he mentioned praying for leaders, that is our spiritual leaders, in verse 17, and also in verse 24, he ends the letter by asking his readers to greet their leaders and all the saints. Here in verse 7, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. And the Greek word that's used here for leaders is the word from which we derive our English word hegemony, which means leadership or dominance. In the Greco-Roman world, the word was used with reference to state officials. In the Septuagint, that is the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word was used in connection with religious, political, and military leaders. And we're not left here in the dark as to the specific leaders the writer of Hebrews has in view. He's not talking here about governmental leaders. Elsewhere, we are reminded in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul says we are to pray for leaders, we are to pray for those in authority so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. But here, that is not the writer's concern. The writer is concerned here specifically with our spiritual leaders. He's particularly referring to their spiritual guides. Such he describes as, quote, those who have spoken to you the word of God. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, elders, bishops, pastors, and these are not different individuals. These are one and the same individuals. They are used interchangeably. They are nuances with respect to what these words signify, but they are really one and the same individuals from differing vantage points. Well, here we are saying elders, pastors, bishops, who are responsible for the nurture, the spiritual nurture of the church, according to the word of God, they are leaders of the church. They have a ruling function, according to 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, because there in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, Paul references the rulers who rule well. And when he says there, the elders who rule well, 
He is not, and it must not be taken as some taken in some places to mean that there are certain of the elders who rule. Indeed, all the elders rule in the church of God. That is to say, no particular elder is above the other elder. What we call today senior pastor, the Bible doesn't really know about that. The senior pastor is the Lord Jesus. He's a senior shepherd. We are under shepherds. Myself, Pastor Horges, we are elders in this church, and we are all of equal authority. There are leaders in the church, and their leadership is legitimized not by their social status, not on the basis of their social influence, or by the force of their personality. The sad thing is that many times leaders, elders, pastors are put in position because of these very things. They are leaders in the church by virtue of the fact that they have been placed there by God. They have been placed in that position based on certain criteria he has set forth in his word. And the word of God makes it very clear that Leaders of the church, elders, pastors, bishops are not to be domineering over those in their charge. For as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, the flock that is the church, that body of believers, is God's flock over which there is the chief shepherd. And that chief shepherd, we know, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Indeed, he is clearly the head of the church, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And among the responsibilities, and more precisely, chief of the responsibilities of elders, of pastors, of bishops, and it's mentioned here in verse 17, chief of their responsibilities is to speak the word of God to the people. Not to speak about themselves, not to speak about their families, not to speak about their personal fancies, not to speak about what is appealing, what is popular, what will gain them a listening ear, but to preach the word of God. That is primarily what elders are called to do. Elders are called to declare, to speak the word of God. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That has reference to the ministry of the word of God in the church. Second Timothy 3, 16, all the way to chapter 4, verse 4, it's worth reading because Paul says there in Second Timothy 3, 16, beginning there in verse 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then here's what he says to Timothy on the basis of what he just said. He said there in first, second Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why, Timothy? Here's what he says. He says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, 
They will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We are living precisely in those days. And that is why the word of God speaks of the great need for preachers, those who are appointed to minister to the church, to lead the church, to be men of the word of God. Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, he says this, until I come give attendance to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. That is what we are called to do as pastors, as elders. And what all of this means is that speaking the word of God is one of the acid tests of those who are faithful to the word of God. Those who are faithful leaders in the church are those who speak the word of God, not speak what is popular, not speak what people want to hear, not speak that which is politically correct, but speak the living word of God. Now, in calling on his readers to remember those who have the rule over them, that is, those who have spoken the word of God to them, he says there, notice the last half of verse 7, he says what they are to do is this, they are to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That word translated consider means to look at. It means to observe carefully. It carries the idea of scrutinizing for the purpose of assessing or evaluating. And what the word of God is suggesting here is this, that when it comes to our leaders, ours is the responsibility to assess them. Ours is the responsibility to as it were, scrutinize their lives, to examine their lives. We are to evaluate their lives even as they speak to us the word of God. That we are to examine and take note of the outcome of their way of life, of the kinds of attitudes they have, the kinds of temperaments they exhibit, how they handle situations, how they behave in, in, in general terms, how as, as they preach the word of God, we are to be alert, the writer is saying, to their character. We are to be observing the fruit of their lives. Now I have you look back again at verse 7, and the question I want to ask you is this, what is it that strikes you as you read the second half of verse 7 in light of the entire exhortation of verse 7? Let's read verse 7 once again. Remember your leaders, who, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What is it that stands out to you? Notice that as important as the teaching of the word of God is in the life and ministry of the church, the author did not say to his readers that in remembering their leaders, they are to consider their teaching. Did you notice that? As important as the teaching of the word of God is, he did not say to his readers that they are in remembering their leaders, they are to consider their teaching. Now, here's the point. 
Had he said that, that would be all fine. Because really, that's what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to take careful, pay careful attention to what we hear from the Word of God, to, to take careful attention to what passes for the Word of God. We are to be like the Berean Christians. Paul wrote of in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, where he says, that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all eagerness. But notice what they did. They searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were true. Our Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 4 verse 24 declared that we are to pay attention to what we hear. It's very important that you and I, whenever we sit under the preaching and teaching of the word of God, we do not take the preacher's word for it. We, we make sure, we ensure that what the preacher is saying is indeed the veritable word of God. But here in our text, that is not the concern of the writer, at least at this time. Rather, he specifically exhorts his readers that in remembering their leaders, they are to consider the outcome of their way of life. In other words, he is saying to them that he's more concerned about their walk than he is about their talk. He is concerned not so much about their preaching as he is about their piety, their godly character. And why is that significant? Why would it be significant for the writer to specifically say to his readers at this point, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, but I want for you to consider the outcome of their way of life. Why is that significant? It is significant because, you see, in Scripture, church leaders, those who have the oversight of the church of God, are to be assessed first and foremost on the basis of their character, not on the basis of their gifts and talents, not on the basis of what they do. They are to be assessed first and foremost on their character on their godliness. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, for instance, we see that even before Paul mentions the need for overseers, elders, to be possessed with the ability to teach the word of God, notice he stipulates, he stipulates that those who are aspiring to be overseers must be what? Above reproach. They must be above reproach. He says, for example, they are to be the husbands of one wife. They are to be sober-minded. They are to be respectable and honorable. In other words, before all other considerations, they should be men of moral integrity. They should be men of marital fidelity. They should be men of mental sobriety. They should be men who command respect, and they should be men who cherish relationships. Ever before, he lays down the, the criterion of teaching, the ability to teach the word of God. He says that they must be men of sound, reputable character. 
You'll find the same principle in, for, in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, because again, as Paul writes to Titus concerning the qualifications of elders, who are the kinds of men he's to appoint as leaders in the church, as elders in the church, before he cites the need for elders to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine to rebuke those who contradict it. Titus chapter 1, verse 9, notice, he states in verses 6 and following that they must, here it comes once again, they must be above reproach. They must be above reproach. They must be this, that, and the other. The point, beloved, is this, that from God's perspective, from God's vantage point, as important as it is for church leaders, for elders, to have the ability to teach the word of God, foundational and most crucial to their leading the church of God, to their teaching the word of God, is their character. Their character. Not how learned and persuasive they are. Not how learned and persuasive, not how eloquent, not how gifted they are, but they are to be assessed in terms of the kinds of life they lead. And that's very important. In many places today, those things are not carefully considered. Persons will readily get excited, oh, we have a wonderful preacher, we have a wonderful pastor, he's able to preach, he's able to expound the word of God, but here's the point, what is the quality of life of that man who stands to declare the word of God? What's the moral and spiritual tone of his life? There should be the first concern when assessing would-be leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. And it is noteworthy how that in addressing the issue of false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus focused not so much on the substance of their teaching as on their what? Their character. It comes again. On who they are as expressed by what he describes as their fruit. As many as seven times in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, he mentions fruit as that for which we are to look when it comes to true servants of God. Here is words in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, underscoring the truth that ministry for the Lord cannot, cannot, and must not be divorced from character, from one's way of life. Here's what our Lord Jesus said. He says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening woods. Do you see right away where he begins to place the accent? Where, on what? Not on what they do, but on what they are inside. He says this, you will recognize them, how? By their teaching? Well, yes, by their teaching. But that's not where Jesus went. Notice what he says. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes, bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Verse 20, thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Jesus did not touch the matter of their doctrines. That's a given. It's a given. And that was why, in contrast to the false preachers of his day, the false teachers of his day, Paul, in writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, notice what the apostle Paul did there in 2 Timothy 3, verse Verses, verse 10, he could say to Timothy this regarding himself. Here's what he said. In contrast to the false teachers, here's what Paul said in relation to himself. He said this. You, however, watch this carefully. You, however, have followed my teaching. He didn't stop there. He says, you, have, however, have followed my teaching. Here it comes now. My conduct. My conduct. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. What is Paul doing here? Do you see what Paul is doing here? Paul is linking his teaching with his life, the quality of his life. He is linking his teaching with the quality of his life. His holy conduct is matching with the word of God what he's saying, as it were, to Timothy was this. Timothy, don't just listen to my teaching. Don't just listen to what I'm saying, Timothy. I might even be preaching to you right doctrines. But as important as that is, that's not the critical factor. He says, he's saying here, don't just listen to what people are teaching. Look at their lives. Look at the kinds of lives they are leading. My friends, may I say this? And this is something that is worth listening to. It's worth taking to heart. For some, this might come as a shocker, but it's very important. That based on the teaching of our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, where he talks about false prophets being known by their fruits, he did not touch their doctrine, remember? Based on what he said there, we can gather this. That if a man is living... An ungodly, unholy life. Even though he may be a skilled teacher of the word of God, even though he might be knowledgeable of the word of God, mighty in the word of God, in proclaiming the word of God, he's a false prophet according to the word of God. According to our Lord Jesus, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he is most dangerous and harmful to the church of God. How so? How so? Because in some way or another, in some way or another, even in subtle ways, the quality of his life will impact those under his ministry. Now, I don't want to be just using abstract expressions. I want to bring it in a concrete way to show you what I'm talking about. This is something I've noticed over the years, and I watch myself with this as well. The character of a person, in this case, we're talking about a preacher, a pastor. The character of a pastor is often reflected especially in light moments. 
Not when he's around the pulpit, not when he's in a setting of worship, but in light, casual moments. And here's a question. When that pastor is in light settings, when that pastor has his hair let down, so to speak, and when everything is jovial, here is the question, and here's some of the things we have to look for. What kind of jokes or humor does he participate in? There are pastors who can be very staid in preaching. Okay? They handle the word of God seriously. But when it comes to setting of light moments, you pick up things that when you think carefully and you look, you say, uh-uh, this does not befit a minister. Listen to the kinds of jokes. Listen to how they deal with sin, however small. In other words, do they make light of the fact that, hey, I got away with this because I, you know, I, I saw a fib. I saw the, you know, told a little white lie, as the saying goes. You know, there are many, many examples in which we find preachers, pastors, in light moments, they are given to levity, and what happens? Their character seeps. And what happens? If a believer is not grounded, a believer particularly if he or she is a weak believer, a spiritually immature believer can say, well, okay, pastor, I, I know pastor does so-and-so because pastor says so-and-so, he does so-and-so. And therefore, what happens? The sheep is influenced negatively. As pastors of the word of God, as elders of the word of God, we are to be men of probity. We are to be men of purity. We are to be men of piety. We are to be men who are exemplary in the area of godliness. At all times, even at a party. So with regard to their leaders who spoke to them the word of God, the author of Hebrews calls on his readers not so much to attend to their teaching, to consider their teaching, as to consider their way of life, the outcome of their way of life. What kind of life are they living? To what end does the writer give this instruction? Notice the follow-up instruction he gives at the end of verse 7. He says this, and Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. That word in the Greek is the word from which we get our English word imitate. It's the word from which we get our English word mime rather. It's the word from which we get our English word mimic. Mime or mimic. And sometimes there are those who in blanket fashion will say, well, you know, we are to follow nobody but Jesus. You'll hear that quite often. Some people say, I follow nobody but Jesus. But hear the word of God. The word of God in our text this morning legitimizes such a thing as believers following the example of those whose lifestyle give evidence of genuine faith. Paul, for example, in 2 Timothy 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7, he wrote to the Thessalonian believers, he says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to what? Imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you. He says, look at our lives. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he urged the Corinthian Christians to imitate him as he imitated Christ. 
You see, we, the, the assumption here is that people are going to imitate us or should imitate us as Christians to the extent that we are imitating Christ. People are not to follow us as an end in itself. They are to follow us only insofar as we are following Christ. So what this in effect means is that those who are appointed to lead the church of God are those whose lives must be worthy of emulation. That's the thrust of the text. They are to be examples to the flock, as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3 puts it. They are to be examples how in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, according to 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. At the end of the day, this means that church leaders are not church leaders. Listen, church leaders are not to be followed blindlessly. They are not to, they are not to be followed mindlessly, blindly, simply because they happen to be gifted men or they hold the position of leadership. Consideration must be given, according to the word of God, must be given to the quality of their spiritual lives. The question is, are they exhibiting the fruits of Christian character? Are they true models of godliness? Do their lives commend the word of God? That's the question. No, we're not talking here about sinless perfection. You know, there's a way in which this text can be abused to set high unreasonable expectations of leaders. The word of God is not calling us here to look for perfection in our leaders. The truth is our leaders at best are men who are at their very best. They too have their temptations. They too are prone to stumbling. They too are prone to falling. They too have their challenges. They too have feet of clay. But here's the point. While they'll, they'll never be sinlessly perfect on this side heaven, the word of God suggests that they are to be pace setters. They are to be pace setters taking the lead when it comes to the matter of godliness. When it comes to the matter of being exemplary, they are to be men whose lives shine, may I say this, even above the rest. Why is that so vitally important? It's important because, you see, inconsistencies and compromises in the lives of spiritual leaders, those who lead the church of God, have a way of infecting, have a way of negatively impacting the lives of those who come under their leadership. Maybe you have heard this saying, and it's well worth noting, there's a saying that the sins of leaders are leading sins. The sins of leaders are leading sins. That is to say, their sins more than the sins of any other stands out most prominently, stands out, their sins stand out most prominently, most glaringly. And not only that, but their sins often have the greatest impact on others. Their sins, you see, affect not just themselves, but other people, particularly those they lead. That is why leaders are called to be what? Exemplary. If the head of the stream is dirty, then the rest of the stream is going to be what? Polluted. 
That is why it's often said that, generally speaking, a church never rises above the level of its spiritual leadership. All this to say, when it comes to leadership in the church, character is everything. Character is everything. Character is premium. And we are not left in the dark as to what the Bible expects of leaders. First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1 provides for us the full portrait of what the man of God should look like. He used to be, as we said earlier, exemplary in his family life, in his personal life, in his public life, in his life in the church, in his life in the home, in his life in the community. Well, as we close, notice that not only does the Bible outline the godly principles for which they must be known, but our text this morning stipulates the guiding pattern they're obliged to follow. The guiding pattern they're obliged to follow. And so note verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now on the surface, this verse seems disconnected from verse 7. But a closer reading of this verse suggests this, that in any consideration of the subject of leadership in the church, Jesus Christ must be a factor. As such, he is to be the pattern, he is to be the guide from which every leader in the church takes his cue. That's why it's there. Right after telling us that we are to consider, we are to remember our leaders, consider the outcome of their lives, the writer quickly says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. What is he doing there? He is making, he is establishing, he is suggesting that Jesus Christ must be the pattern, he must be the guide for leaders in the church. And that is the same yesterday, today, and forever necessarily means this, that in days when many a pastor is tinkering with the word of God, in days when many a pastor is compromising the word of God, in these days when many a pastor is redefining the faith, when many in the pulpit are given to moral and spiritual compromise, God's people need not be thrown into confusion as to what the truth is they need not be second-guessing themselves as to how they should live. Why? Because Jesus is a standard against which a leader is assessed. Jesus Christ is unchanging, which means that the truth of his word is unchanging. If the pastor stands up and is saying something contrary to what the word of God says, that's not the spirit of Christ. That's not the word of Christ. And hence, he's to be rejected. So that among the ways we detect those who are true men of God is by the attention, is by the prominence they give. Listen, not to themselves, not to their personal fancies, but to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our text is suggesting. Are they domineering and overbearing in their leadership? Well, that's not the way of Jesus who told his disciples in Luke chapter 22 verses 25 through 27. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader is one who serves for who is the greater and who? 
One who reclines at table or one who serves, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am as the one who serves. If a leader is domineering, if a leader is arrogant, if a leader is overbearing, if a leader is promoting himself, remember Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever, that's not according to the spirit of our Lord Jesus. That leader is not walking according to the will of God. Are they self-seeking? Are they self-promoting? That's not the way of Jesus who declared in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That is a true spirit of a servant of God, a leader in the church. Trust as we ponder these things, first of all, your responsibility as members of this church is to pray for us, your leaders. We are men with feet of clay, and what a standard to which we have been called. We are called to be exemplar. We are called to be prominent, most prominent in the air of godliness. And who is sufficient for these things but the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his Spirit? Apart from him, we fail, we stumble miserably. And your responsibility is to pray for us. Our responsibility is to be faithful to the word of God, to minister it so that you might be built up in the faith. May God grant that these things might be so for his name's sake. Amen.